Hello and welcome to another Substance on Substance episode. Um, this is a Harney's podcast based on the fascinating world of economic substance here in the British Virgin Islands. My name is Phil Graham. I'm Global Head of the Investment Funds and Regulatory Team at Harney's and joined by our true king of this planet, Josh Monjot. Josh, welcome. Thanks, Phil. Hi, everyone. So we have a bumper-packed edition today. We're obviously getting very close to the time when everyone is going to be putting in their reports. What we thought we'd look at today are, the, are sort of the practical realities of reporting. Um, you, you spent a great deal of time looking at uh, sort of the interaction between the, the legislation and, and, and the boss system that everyone will be reporting into, and then also dovetailing neatly into the sort of tax residency question, which is a recurring theme with everyone trying to get their heads around exactly what that means and exactly what they have to do to demonstrate tax residency elsewhere. But to, to really to really kick off, Josh, you know, obviously we're looking at the nine relevant activities. We're looking at um, carrying out the classification, as we've talked about before, of making sure you know which bucket you're in. Once you know which bucket you're in, how does it differ between those activities as to what you need to prepare? Thanks, Phil. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a, a much deeper dive into some of the concepts that we've introduced on previous podcasts. So at this stage, we're assuming that people know which one of the relevant activities they're in. They've thought about the tax status of their entity, and they're now moving to report. And as you say, the contents of the reports and, and frankly, how onerous the process is really depends on that initial classification. Everything flows from that. So the reporting obligations are set out in the Beneficial Ownership Secure Search System Act 2017, which is called the BOSS Act. And that was expanded back in around October 2019, mainly to, to build out the reporting framework. So every corporate and legal entity has defined the BOSS Act, and that includes all companies registered in the BVI, have to file a declaration at the end of each economic substance financial period within six months of that period via their BVI registered agent. And the precise timing and format of that will vary by the registered agent because they are the gatekeeper or the interface with the, the International Tax Authority's database system for this process. But that will be geared towards ensuring that the reports can be filed with Within the six-month deadline and in the reporting format which is prescribed by the ITA which in turn reflects EU and OECD requirements and so today for simplicity we're going to focus on companies because that's the bulk of the client book that we're facing. That makes perfect sense so looking at companies and looking at the the classification once they have them how, how are you breaking people down into their into their different groups and how are you talking are you talking to them in a sort of different way depending on which classification they are um, they, they are saying they fall into absolutely that's right and we talked around the scoping exercise or the process of triaging entities for want of a better word to figure out which of the classification buckets they, they fall into. To reassure people, again, at the easiest end of the spectrum, you have companies that during the financial period carried on no relevant activity, and those are very straightforward, but they do have to file a nil return at the end of the, the period, and those will be required by period going forward. So every entity is going to have to confirm its name, its registered number, date of incorporation or formation, its type, and whether or not it has securities listed on a recognized stock exchange. And it will also have to confirm whether or not it's made any changes to its defaults compliance period, which we call the, the financial period, again, not to be confused with the, the tax or accounting year. Then for everybody else, the report depends on the activity and also the tax status. So today, we're not going to talk around holding businesses or intellectual property business. 
because those have their own slightly special regimes. If you are a pure equity holding entity, which only holds equity participations in other entities and only earns dividends and capital gains, then reporting should be quite straightforward, particularly if the entity was entirely passive during the period and didn't actively manage the equity participations, which would then suggest that it requires actual or outsourced employees or premises to carry on the, the holding business in the real world. Intellectual property business at the other end of the spectrum is frankly too complicated to cover in this type of podcast. And if you think you might have IP business, as we said before, you need to be speaking to a lawyer if you're not already. At those two extremes, today we're going to talk about the other seven relevant activities. And are you, are you happily able to sort of lump them all in together or do you even split them out between the, the sort of seven that are in the middle? Good question. You do see some variation in the themes and the types of questions, but yes, broadly for this podcast, we can deal with them in general terms. So when you're in one of the nine relevant activities, not holding business or IP business, and assuming for this next bit that we're not dealing with with an entity which qualifies as tax non-resident, then you're into what I call the general economic substance requirements. And those are the same no matter what the activity is, and the reporting framework is broadly the same as well. So diving into the into the real weeds, and if you know people are still listening at this point, I'm assuming that you are tasked with the, the joyous process of actually completing the reports, you're going to have to confirm the following mandatory information under the ITA schema. Confirmation of each relevant activity which the entity carried on during the period, and including the start and end date, if you only carried it on for part of the period in question. Then whether or not you intend to claim the entity qualified as tax non-resident during the period, and more on that later, we'll come back to that, but assuming not, for each relevant activity, remembering that we're not talking about holding business or IP business here, and in respect of the the financial period in question, so for the majority of pre-2019 incorporations, we're talking about the period 30th of June 2019 to 29th of June 2020. Rattling through the, the criteria, we're going to have to report on total turnover, And that, we think, means revenue without deducting any cost of sales, plus any other source of gross income from the relevant activity during the relevant financial period. Then details of the persons who are responsible for the direction and management of that relevant activity, including whether or not they're resident in the BVI, and their relationship to the entity. Then the total expenditure incurred on the operation of the activity, including via outsourcing, if applicable, and of that, the total expenditure incurred in the BVI the total number of employees engaged in the relevant activity, and that can be a fraction of a full-time employee. And there are detailed rules on how to compute employees under Rule 12 of the ITA rules. And that definition, importantly, also includes individuals who are managed as an employee if they're employed by somebody else. So we call those outsourced employees. And of those actual or outsourced employees, then you have to report the total number who are physically present in the BVI, remembering that they'll only be treated as based in the BVI if they spend the majority of their working time in the BVI. And again, look at Rule 12 for for the rules around how to calculate that. Then details of all the premises in the BVI used in connection with the activity. And this includes premises leased or used on license. And the ITS guidance allows for flexible working practices. So if people have been working from home during the pandemic to do the work, that's absolutely fine. But you would need to report where those premises are. Then details of the the core income generating activities, what we call the SEGA, which were carried on in the BVI. And there are examples under a drop-down menu for each type of activity, or you you can type in free text there as well. And if any of those SEGA have been outsourced to another entity, so I call that the outsourcing entity, then you're going to have to give detailed evidence around that. So details of the outsourcing entities, their name, the resources they deploy in the outsourcing, the number of staff, their number of hours per month employed in carrying out the relevant SEGA, the total expenditure incurred on the outsourcing in the BVI, and then finally, whether or not the the company you're reporting on was able to monitor and control the, the outsourced activity. And then finally, there is an additional comments and supporting evidence option where you can upload further information. 
Finally, indeed. I mean, it, it's interesting that there's obviously different levels of, of aspects. We can go into a number of those. I think one of the biggest areas that is causing the most amount of fusion is, is sort of around the employees question, probably as much as anything. Did you want to touch on that in relation to sort of the seven relevant activities? And, and I guess more importantly, the, the outsourcing part that I think is causing the most amount of confusion? Yeah, sure. It's a good question. So remember then that the the guidance says that employee includes a person who's actually employed by the entity, but also somebody who is managed as an employee if they're employed by somebody else. And that really ties into the the outsourcing concept, because particularly with the borders being closed because of the the COVID-19 pandemic, Remember that the ITA has encouraged people to make use of BVI-based professional directors and BVI-based outsourcing providers. So if you can put your finger on people who've been doing the work within the BVI, even if they're employed by another outsourcing entity, you can declare those as employees. If they have been doing the SEGA for the company as well, then you're going to need to confirm that and report on the details that I described. But that gives a real reason and a lot of flexibility to use the the deep bench of financial services and other professionals that we have in the BVI who can help the entity comply. And if people haven't made as much use of that as they could have done during the first period, obviously we're now into the second period, but we're, we're really happy to talk to people around how we can set that sort of thing up for you here at Harney's. So hopefully that's um, that's enormously helpful for, for everyone in just giving that overview of what they'll needing to, to sort of put in. Now, flip-flopping to the, to the other sort of aspect here, tax residency, I, I sort of wanted to give you, given your vast understanding of this area, let me give you my dumb question. When people come along and say, well, I'm tax resident in the BVI, that's what I want to report. Is that right? Can they say that? That's very kind. And I know you've been looking forward to this uh, this session as a lot of our listeners. We've been promising it for a while. No, that's not quite right. Because BVI companies are exempted from tax other than um, stamp duty if they, if they hold interests um, in BVI real estate or payroll tax if they have physical operations and employees in the BVI. There is not really a concept of a BVI tax residence. So the approach that we've taken for economic substance reflects that you are in economic substance if you are carrying on a relevant activity, unless you can claim and evidence a foreign tax status that then takes you out. But the term we give to this is a non-resident entity. But it's broader than the name suggests, because in addition to classic tax residents, as a tax person would think of it, under part four of the ITA rules, you can also claim non-residence under two circumstances. The first circumstance is if you are a transparent entity, which means an entity where the entire profits and gains are treated under the law of another country as being attributable to and taxable on some or all of the, the participators or the, or the partners in the entity if you're dealing with a limited partnership. And the second circumstance is if you're dealing with an entity other than a pure actually holding entity, where all of the sources of income from the relevant activities are subject to tax and jurisdiction outside the BVI, then the BVI entity will be regarded as resident for tax purposes in that other jurisdiction purely for economic substance purposes. And the classic example there would be a a branch or a permanent establishment, which is booking all of the income from the relevant activities and is taxable permanent establishment under another country's tax regime. That makes sense, even to me. So the interesting question, I guess, for a lot of people is that they do want to sort of run down or or want to think about running down the line of actually demonstrating tax residency elsewhere. And I guess there are two 
comments on that you've already begun to touch on one of them but the two comments of sort of can they is it actually right that they have that option available to them and then secondly even if they do want to and even if they do have the option available to them what do they have to submit in terms of documentary evidence to actually get that over the line and I guess while I think about it there is a third element to it which of course is if we do do that what does that lead to in terms of when the ITA receives that when the ITA understands that you are claiming tax residency elsewhere what does that practically lead the ITA to do in, in terms of how they deal with that potentially foreign tax authority? Yeah, absolutely. And to, to answer those in, in turn, the first one is, yes, yes, you can. If you were dealing with a company which is classically non-resident, so for example, a, a you know, BVI company which is UK tax resident, it's pretty simple. If you are looking at the rules on transparent entities or entities where they are subject to, to tax through some other mechanism, those are in rules four and five. And if you're looking at those, they are more complicated. So we would recommend that you look at those with your tax people and, and a BVI lawyer to make sure that you're actually in that test. Once you've established that you, you do qualify for the non-residence treatment, you need to make sure that the jurisdiction in which you're claiming actual or deemed non-residence doesn't appear on the EU list of non-cooperative jurisdictions for tax purposes, the so-called blacklist. So if you're on Annex 1 of that, of that list, you cannot qualify for this treatment as a sort of an anti-avoidance rule. If you're still the right side of those tests, then in your reporting, you will see a question saying, do you want to claim non-residence treatment? If the answer is yes, then you will need to confirm the jurisdictions in which the entity is, is actually or is deemed to be tax resident for these purposes. And then you're going to have to provide details of the parent entity, if any, of the, of the BVI entity. Broadly, that's looking at any corporate or legal entity which directly or indirectly holds 75% or more beneficial ownership or more than 75% of voting rights in, in the BVI entity and provides details around any parent. And then finally, you're going to need to upload evidence in support of your claim under Rule 3, which lists types of evidence that the ITA will accept. And generally, these are, these are objective evidence issued by the overseas competent authority. But because of the additional information field that I alluded to earlier, you can also upload supporting evidence around that. So, for example, we're seeing some people upload a, a legal opinion or, or some other document you know, in support of their claim where it's more complicated. And so once you've done all that, to answer your third question, making this type of claim is going to trigger spontaneous information exchange under the OECD schema for jurisdictions with economic substance requirements. And broadly, the exchange is going to be to the relevant overseas competent authority of the jurisdiction in which you're claiming non-residence treatment. So in my example, the UK, if you're claiming that the, that the company is tax resident there. And if any of the beneficial owners or legal owners of the entity are residents in an EU member state, then the competent authority in each relevant member state in which the beneficial owner or the legal owner resides will also get notice of the claim. And that's effectively to provide a check and a balance to make sure that what you're telling the, the BVI authority stacks up with the position in the foreign jurisdiction. One of the interesting questions I've been asked by someone very recently, actually, was if you are not doing a relevant activity, do you still need to sort of assess your tax residency? Do you still need to go through this process of, of potentially reporting that? Should you do that, practically speaking? What's your, what's, your, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's a good question. It's one we get a lot in practice. If you don't have relevant activity, then for economic substance purposes, you can stop there for, for the financial period and just do a nil return. Practically, obviously, you should think about the, the, the foreign tax status and obligations of your, of your entity. Just saying I don't have any economic substance relevant activity is not going to address any foreign law overlay. 
Understood. Practically speaking, and just, just in your experience of dealing with sort of many different foreign tax authorities, when should people begin sort of starting to speak to those authorities about getting the sort of, you know, the formal certifications and other documents you described earlier? How quickly do tax authorities generally turn those types of things around? So this really varies by jurisdiction. I think if you are dealing, as I've said, with rules four or five, or you're dealing with a jurisdiction that perhaps doesn't impose tax on a classic residence basis. So for example, if it's got a territorial or a sectoral or a source-based taxing regime, then you need to look at the rules that I've just described very carefully to figure out if, if you qualify for them, and then to think, what evidence can I actually produce to satisfy the ITA that, that my claim is, is valid? And as I've said, if, if it's difficult and you're not sure, speak to a lawyer because it, it may be possible to, to provide some additional supporting information around the claim. The, the timeframes for getting this information do vary massively. And the ITA recognises that. And if you look in rules 6 through 10 of the ITA rules, there is a mechanism to deal with a situation where the entity is unable to provide evidence of the sort that's required in respect of the, the period within the, within the six-month window. And in those circumstances, you can, you can apply to be treated as provisionally non-resident. And you have to satisfy one of the following three conditions. One is that you've only just established tax residence in, in that jurisdiction, or you've been too recently formed for there to be any evidence of the type required. The second is if you've established tax residence in that jurisdiction to the satisfaction of the ITA for the previous period, and you certify that the, the treatment hasn't changed, you're just gathering the, the evidence. Or finally, if you supply within the six-month window the most recently available evidence of your, of your tax residence, which complies with the requirements, and then certifies that the situation hasn't changed since the period to which that evidence relates. In those circumstances, the ITA will treat you as provisionally non-resident. But then you have to provide the evidence as a, as a follow-up step within effectively two financial periods, including the one in respect of which you're applying for provisional non-residence treatment. And if that sounds like a bit of a mouthful, it is, it can be quite complicated. So if you're dealing with this type of situation, it's probably better to speak to your tax advisor as a lawyer to make sure that you're, you know, you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's. I think that's really good advice. And I, th I think what's enormously helpful about sort of working with you, Josh, is, is, is you're, you're so perfectly placed, given your, given your tax background, to sort of sit there with the person sort of onshore tax advisors and everything else and just have that sensible conversation about how best to report it and how best to evidence it and, and what the options are available to them. So if anyone is looking at this and really scratching their heads as to, as to how to deal with the complexity around tax residency, I couldn't think of a better person for them to get in contact with. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Happy to have those sorts of conversations because I do find it weirdly interesting. Yeah, he is genuinely happy. It's incredibly surreal. But uh, but there you go. An absolute pleasure to, to get that sort of um, more in-depth analysis, Josh, and uh, look forward to uh, speaking on the next one. Absolutely. Thanks, Phil. And if anybody's still listening, thank you for uh, bearing with us during a Leviathan session. But hopefully that was, <laughs> was useful and has demystified some of, the, uh, some of the fields that you may be looking at in the reporting forms. Just a reminder that check with your RA when their deadline is for, for doing those reports because some RAs deadlines have already fallen due. Harney's Corporate Services, so we're, we're the registered agent. The information needs to be with us before the 15th of December for the first reporting cycle if you're dealing with a pre-2019 company. So if you haven't spoken to your RA yet and you're still doing the reporting, then um, time is becoming short. Agree completely. Thanks very much, everyone. Thanks, everyone.